My wife and I just recently returned from an almost month-long road trip, put on over 4,700 miles. And amazingly, we saw really very little road construction. Um, I can't remember seeing more than one accident. Uh, Learned patience, uh, because sometimes we got around some of the cities when it was like rush hour traffic or whatever. And so, you know, we tried to avoid those times and those places as much as we could. But I got to see some cousins uh, in Louisiana and in western New York. I got to visit friends in Kentucky and Delaware and New York. And uh, we attended uh, one of our former churches. And we saw lots of country they'd never seen before. Uh, We went to a double birthday party and uh, brought home one of our grandsons from New York with us. Uh, We were going through the the back roads of Kentucky and Tennessee, and trust me, I mean back roads, Uh, and we stumbled on this little place called Pall Mall, Tennessee. It's where uh, Sergeant Elvin, Elvin York was born. And so they had some stuff there uh, commemorating his life and all. But after all we did and all all the places we went, it is just good to be home. Be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. You know, I think if we lived in a spacious four, five, eight thousand square foot home, or if we lived in a little... uh, 800 square foot two-room home, we would be glad to be home. Uh, I think most of us are creatures of habit. Um, At least, well, I'll say me. I'm a creature of habit. I guess I've gotten to be more and more so, uh, especially since retiring. Uh, You get into a routine, and you like your own bed. You like your own stuff. You like your own shower and your own cooking and we missed our grandchildren, and we missed our parents, too. And our two sons did a great job of taking care of our home while we were gone and looking after things. But it's good to be back home. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this beautiful, wonderful country that we live in. And, Lord, it was good to see some parts of it that we hadn't seen before and good to, to catch up with old friends and make some new ones as we are traveling. So, Lord, I just uh, praise you for the world that you've given us to enjoy and that we got to enjoy some that we never did before. So, Father, as we look at your word now, Lord, help us to see what it is that you want us to see and give us a message that you want us to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Excuse me. I imagine you've heard this quote before, in this world, nothing is certain except death and taxes. Now, most people think that Ben Franklin was the originator of that, but actually it's from an English actor back in 1776 uh, when he said something quite similar to that. It says, "'Tis impossible to be sure of anything but death and taxes." And I think we know whoever said it first, it doesn't matter because it seems to be a relatively 
true statement. Because even if you have no income, you have no home, you have no vehicle, you're still going to end up paying taxes of some kind. You know, unless you live in Delaware and maybe there's another state where there's no sales tax. You know, if you go in to just buy a can of soda <coughs> in most places, you're going to be paying tax on it or whatever it might be. So, you know, you're still going to be faced with that. And death, well, death's going to come to all of us unless Christ comes first, which, praise God, I hope he does. Uh, actually, there's a game called Death in Taxes. Didn't know that before until I started looking stuff up. And amazingly, it's not available on Amazon. Not that I was looking to purchase, but I just thought that was kind of interesting. So I'm not going to be talking about taxes, even though Scripture talks about them. So I must be going to talk about death. Okay, death's not a real popular topic. Uh, I know some people, uh, they say that they start to talk with their children about, you know, the fact that they're getting older and someday they're going to die and their children say, oh, no, you're going to live forever. Um, no, probably not. Okay, so some people just don't want to think about it, don't want to talk about it. And, you know, like I said, it's not a real popular topic. Uh, one that's often overlooked from a pulpit, uh, except at a funeral. Um, and it may be too late for the one that's deceased. But I thought it would be interesting to find a definition of death. Okay, so this is what I got. Okay, <clears throat> death is defined as a cessation of all vital functions of the body, including heartbeat, brain activity, including the brain, brain stem, and breathing. You know, I guess we can't argue with that. When your body no longer functions, it's dead. Okay, I mean, that would just be a, a no-brainer. Uh, no pun included there. Uh, but what does the Bible say about death? Well, really, the Bible says a lot about death. Uh, the first time we hear anything about death is in Genesis chapter 2. Okay, just in creation and, you know, things are just starting to have life and we're going to hear about death. So in Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, uh, this is from the NIV, it says God is explaining the rules of the Garden of Eden to Adam. Okay, <clears throat> he's letting Adam know, you know, what his future is. So God says, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat from it, you will certainly die. Oh, okay. So let's skip to Genesis chapter 3. And now Eve has arrived on the scene. And we're going to assume that Adam has explained the rules to her. Okay, because in this chapter, she's going to attempt to quote one of them. So we come to the, the snake encounter in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say 
You must not eat from the tr any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. Well, we know the rest of the story. She ate, and she did not physically die, but she and her hubby just made a mess of everything for the rest of us for eternity. You know, and if it hadn't been Eve, it would have been one of their kids or, you know, an uncle that came to visit or, you know, it would have, it would have happened. Okay, so it had to happen. So it was no surprise to God because before any of creation, God knew that we would blow it somehow. So in Genesis 3, there was an actual physical death or more than one because in verse 21 it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So one or more animals died in that process. All right, so now throughout the Old Testament, <coughs> excuse me, we read of many deaths. During the 40 years of the Exodus, Joshua and Caleb were the only two original men to even survive. Okay, at number 16, some of the men were plotting to get rid of Moses and take over. They didn't think he was doing a very good job. And they didn't really think that he was even hearing from God, that he was just kind of making stuff up, I guess. So they were trying to get folks to, to come along with them. Well, in verses 25 to 27, Moses has gotten wind of this, and so he's trying to figure out what to do. And then in verses 28 to 30, Moses told the people that if these bad guys who were against him died a natural death, then Moses hadn't been sent by God. Okay, just as simple as that. But he said if the earth opens up and swallows these guys and all of their belongings, that shows that God is on his side. Well, verses 31 and 32, this is from the NIV. As soon as Moses finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and all their households and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. So, just like Moses said, okay, the earth's going to open up, it's going to swallow them and their, all their goods, all their possessions, everything that they had. And that's exactly what happened. So then if we go down to, to Numbers 21, <clears throat> excuse me, verses 4 and 5, the Israelites, once again, they were whining. Just imagine that, okay? The Israelites whining. Okay, this time they're whining about the food and water situation. Verses 6 and 7, this is what it says. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Verses 8 and 9, the Lord told Moses to make a bronze snake, 
and to put it on a pole and lift it up, and that those that had been bitten, that they could look at it and they would live. So, more death. Well, many died in battles, sometimes tens of thousands in a day's battle. I cannot imagine that. When you think of, you know, Vietnam, 56,000 men died, mostly men, you know, over a, what, 20-year time. And we're talking about tens of thousands dying in a day in battle. You know, there's a lot of people that died of old age. Okay, Sarah lived to be 127, and she was just a kid. Because Adam, he lived to be 930, not imagine that one. And Seth, he lived to be 912. And then there was good old Methuselah. He lived to the ripe old age of 962. Whoa, what he didn't see happen in those years. So most of us have experienced the death of a close friend or relative. You know, my father died at 62, my mother at 64, my brother at 34. You know, my sister, she just died a few years ago at 72, and I had an aunt that died at 100. You know, I mean, my wife's family, they fared better than mine. Uh, both of her grandfathers were in their 90s. Uh, one grandmother died earlier, I'm not sure, probably in her 70s. Uh, and then the grandmother that I knew uh, died in her 90s. And both of her parents, they were in their mid and late 80s. Uh, she did have a brother that died at 29. So, you know, some deaths we can see coming, okay? Uh, you know, with uh, her parents had both been sick. Her brother had MS, uh, you know, her, her grandfather's grandmother had been sick, you know, my sister, you know, the same way, and my aunt, uh, you know, but then there's some that doesn't happen, okay? But seeing it coming, knowing that it's going to come, really doesn't make it any easier. I mean, cancer sometimes can last for many years eating away at people. Uh, Parkinson's disease, ALS, MS, diabetes, and the complications. I remember a woman that was our uh, church secretary and her brother. Uh, he, he had cancer. He was home. Uh, his wife was a nurse, and so she was able to, you know, be there to uh, take care of getting him the morphine and, and all that. And uh, the family had gathered and, you know, we were around the bed and we prayed and, you know, everybody was kind of giving him permission to die. You know, it's, it's okay. You know, we're at peace with this and we know that it's really the best thing. You're not going to get any better and, and all that. And so, you know, everybody was praying and we got done. And, you know, I, I closed this in prayer and I said, amen. And uh, Don, the patient, opened his eyes and looked around and said, well, now what? I mean, he thought he was going to be dead before we said amen, but it didn't happen that way. Uh, he held on for another month or so after that. Uh, some deaths come very, very suddenly. You know, my father, uh, he had retired in December, and my parents, right after Christmas, had gone to Florida for the winter. 
Uh, they bought a place down there. Uh, came back on April 5th. I remember that because it was my grandmother's birthday. And um, then the next day, they just died suddenly. A uh, very good friend of ours uh, in his early 40s, he was playing softball on the church softball team. He bent over to, to get a grounder, went down, he was gone. The man that was uh, best man in our wedding uh, just died suddenly of a stroke at work. You know, car accidents, over 42,000 people died in the United States in 2020. You know, people die in accidents at work. Um, every once in a while, you hear a hunting accident. Uh, you know, just a few months ago, or weeks ago, I should say, uh, the building collapsed in Miami where I think the death toll is around 100 now, but there's still more people that are missing, not accounted for. You know, and some deaths are, are job-related, okay? If you're in the military, you know, that that's a chance that you take. Uh, the police, unfortunately, more and more often, we're hearing of police that are being shot, uh, you know, just ambushed. And, uh, you know, firemen are taking their lives in their hands every time they go to a, a call. And, you know, the last one that's a job-related death is a criminal. You know, you break into somebody's house, you know, you may not come out alive. And, you know, that's, that's the job that you choose for yourself. You know, you may end up paying that ultimate price as well. Well, the New Testament kind of gives us a, a little different perspective on death. And that's because we see it defeated. The Gospels, they give us three accounts of Jesus raising someone back to life. Okay, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us about Jairus' daughter. Okay, now Jairus, he was a leader at the synagogue, so he knew about Jesus. You know, Jesus quite often went into the synagogue and taught. And so, you know, he probably knew quite a bit about Jesus, knew the power of Jesus. So in Matthew 9, uh, Jesus was approached by Jairus. And he said, you know, my daughter has just died, but you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay your hand on her. So Jairus, he was fully confident in Jesus. You know, he, he knew of Jesus. He had probably seen some of the miracles Jesus had done and heard of many others. So Jesus is leaving to go to Jairus' home. And this is where he was stopped by the woman with a bleeding problem while he was on his way. And so then it goes on in verse 23 to 25. It says, when Jesus arrived at the official's home, he saw the noisy crowd and heard the funeral music. Get out, he told them. The girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him. After the crowd was put outside, however, Jesus went in and took the girl by the hand and she stood up. Okay, Jairus knew that was going to happen. Jesus knew that was going to happen. Okay, there was no doubt. Okay, the next account is found only in Luke's gospel. 
Okay, this is right after Jesus had healed a Roman officer's slave. Okay, so in, in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 11, it says, Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearer stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Okay, so the first time Jesus touched this girl, and she returned to life. The second time, now he, he touched the coffin, it says, to, to stop the, the bearers from carrying it anymore. So he hadn't touched the boy, but he just merely commanded him. And it says, you know, I tell you, get up. You know, it doesn't say that he reached in the coffin and touched the boy or anything. Just that he just told him to get up. So at Jesus' command, new life came into this boy. So now comes the last time that we read of Jesus bringing someone back to life. This is one most are familiar with. It's found only in John's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. I'm not going to read it all, okay? Don't get all excited, okay? But this is about Lazarus, okay? Lazarus was sick, and his sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus, okay? You know, come and, you know, heal our brother. Well, Jesus didn't go. Jesus just kind of hung out and waited around. And in verse 4, it says, Jesus was speaking. He says, Lazarus' sickness will not end in his death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So Jesus and the disciples, like I said, they just hung out for a couple of days. Then Jesus knew that Lazarus had died, and so now it was time to go, it was time to act. So they arrive in Bethany, which is just a short distance from where they were, and Martha sees that he's coming, and Martha beelines out to see Jesus, and she's not happy. Okay, she says, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Okay, so she's upset, and so you know, Jesus is telling her, you know, he's going to rise again. And all she says, you know, I know he's going to rise the last coming and all that. And so then she's still probably kind of ticked. And she goes back to the house and talks to Mary and says, you know, Jesus is out there and he wants to see you. So Mary shows up and she says the same thing. If you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Well, Jesus knew what was going to happen next. So Jesus goes to the tomb. And this is where we get the famous two-word verse, verse 35, Jesus wept. Okay, how many kids, how many teenagers, you know, were told to, they needed to uh, memorize a scripture verse, didn't scour the Bible to find that, so they could say, oh, I, I, I know, I know, I, 
I'm I'm got one here. You know, uh, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Ha. <laughs> okay. Yep, he did. So Jesus goes to the tomb. Jesus weeps uh, because Mary and Martha and Lazarus were were good friends. So Jesus has the stone rolled away and says this in verses 41 and 42. Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here, so they will believe that you sent me. So Jesus wanted the glory to go to his Father, but at the same time, it would really show that he was from the Father, that God had sent him. So then what happens? Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. Jesus, again, only had to command life to defeat death. You know, we never know when death will strike someone, even ourselves. Even those that have been dealing with the possibility for a long time. You know, somebody that's been dealing with, let's say, cancer, you know, you still don't know when that last day is, is going to be. You know, the doctor may say, you know, you've got three months or three to six months or whatever it might be. Well, you, you might die the next day or you might die in a couple of years. You know, we see these things, you know, especially now on social media. You know, what would you do if the doctor told you that you had two weeks to live or two months to live? Well, some people say, you know, man, I would just stay drunk the whole time or, you know, I would just smoke dope, you know, until the time came. Some people say, I'm going to spend as much time as I can with my friends and my family. And some are going to say, you know, I'm going to... Where I'm going to find a cure, you know, if I have to go to wherever in the world, you know, where maybe, you know, this can be cured. Some people say, you know, I would get all these credit cards and I would go out and I would just buy everything. I'd buy new cars and boats and, you know, I'd just buy, 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 buy. And I wouldn't have to worry about it. Now, those that you left behind, they wouldn't have to worry about it. Okay, but you wouldn't have to. Some people say, you know, I would just take one cruise after another, just see places in the world that I've always wanted to see and never could see, you know, travel across the United States, go to Europe and, you know, travel all over there and, you know, just see what there was to see. And some people say, you know, I'd, I'd really like to make amends you know, with my, my parents or, you know, with my sibling or whoever it might be. You know, I just want to make things right before I'm gone. You know, it's one of those things that we don't really know what we would do until we were there. You know, hopefully we would spend the time wisely. I saw this bit of wisdom on Facebook the other day. And I thought, you know, that, that was really good. Maybe I'll get a plaque made out of it. Because this is what it says. Speak to people in a way that if they die the next day, 
you'd be satisfied with the last thing you said to them. I don't think we can all say, yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Because we sometimes say some things that we don't really mean, and then something happens. My father, like I said, he got home on April 5th, which is my grandmother's birthday. My mother called and wanted me, I was married before, I probably talked about this before, but I was married before and at that time we had a son. And so my mother called and said, you know, we're gonna go up to your grandmother's and have cake and ice cream. You know, why don't you guys come up? Well, it was almost bedtime for my son and my then wife said, no, you know, we got to get him to bed. You know, go see him tomorrow. And so we didn't go. The next day, <clears throat> my father had stopped at this little convenience store and got ready to leave and the car wouldn't start. So he called the guy at this garage that had worked on our cars for years. And so the guy brought a new battery down and got there and, you know, my dad was asleep in the car. And so Charlie opened the hood, changed the battery out and went to wake my father up and he was gone. You never know. No one knows. I want to share these words to a new song by Casting Crowns. It's called Scars in Heaven. Just heard it a couple days ago for the first time. It says, if I had only known the last time would be the last time, I would have put off all the things I had to do. I would have stayed a little longer, held a little tighter. Now what I'd give for one more day with you. Because there's a wound here in my heart where something's missing. And they tell me it's going to heal with time. But I know you're in a place where all your wounds have been erased and knowing yours are healed is healing mine. The only scars in heaven won't belong to me and you. There'll be no such thing as broken, and all the old will be made new. And the thought that makes me smile now, even as the tears fall down, is that the only scars in heaven are on the hands that hold you now. I know the road you walked was anything but easy. You picked up your share of scars along the way. But now you're standing in the sun. You fought your fight and your race is run. The pain is all a million miles away. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
for the hands that hold you now. There's not a day that goes by I don't see you. You live in all that, all the parts of me. Until I'm standing with you in the sun, I'll fight this fight, and this race I'll run, until I finally see what you can see. I have to admit, I lied when I said no one knows. Because this is what we're told in Psalm 139.16. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Before you exited the womb, God knew when your last day was going to be, when your last breath was going to be, even though you hadn't taken your first. But because we never know when we'll breathe our last, we need to be ready. And there's only one way. There's an old hymn that I want to share the refrain from. Said, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Unfortunately, we won't all get to heaven. Probably most all of you that are listening to this will, but billions won't. Friends, family, those we know that haven't and probably never will choose Jesus, they won't see heaven. So it would be great if we could at least say, when everyone that I know gets to heaven, because then we know that we had a part in that, because that's what we're called to do. And when we give our life to Christ, that's not the end. No way. That's the beginning. Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks that you love us so much that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. He was perfect. He was without sin. He had lived for 33 or so years and had never, not one time, sinned. And if he had sinned, he couldn't have been the Savior. He wasn't the Messiah because he wasn't perfect. He wasn't the perfect lamb that he needed to be. But when he was on that cross, he took our sins into himself and died there and crushed those sins. And nobody else could have done that. Only him, out of the hundreds and hundreds of billions of people that have lived on this earth at some time, only Jesus Christ could do that because he was God and man together at the same time. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. Thank you for living again. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, pray this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. And Jesus is the only one. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, that I can spend eternity with you in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.